Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I'm joined by Horace for an update and discussion on heavy micromobility, uh, things up to 500 kilograms, including a recent video interview of Sandy Monroe, the automotive engineering guru, and Mark Frommar, the CEO of Arkimoto, talking about their electric three-wheeled auto cycle. I link to it in the show notes, so be sure to check it out. Mark has been a guest on the podcast in the past on episode 46, and I'm a big fan of what they're doing. Finally, we circle back on the age-old question of whether Tesla is conforming to disruptive innovation theory. I have some ideas, and Horace doesn't happen to agree with them, but that's fine. In terms of news, the BBC reports the e-bike is now the most commonly sold type of bike in the Netherlands, and cargo e-bikes are surging too, up about 53% since the start of the pandemic. Segway is taking orders for its affordable C80 model electric moped in the US and Canada. While the vehicle has a floorboard and looks like a moped, the manufacturer is calling it a moped-styled e-bike because it has functional pedals that qualify it as a class 2 electric bike in the US. So it does that kind of relatively sneaky thing where it looks like a moped but has pedals on the outside of it so people can say that it's a bike. It gets about 50 miles to charge, goes 20 miles an hour, and costs $1,900, including shipping. Expect to see a lot of these things go out the door. And with that, here is Horace. And welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today, Horace. How are you, Horace? I'm doing great. Uh, how are you, Oliver? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. A little early in the morning. Uh, I've been sick for a month, but I'm finally on the mend, um, and uh, no, it's nice, it's nice. Um, I, I'm very excited for this episode, Horace, I, I must say. Um, we're talking heavier micromobility, three wheels, uh, and that heavier category of the 500kg uh, weight limit that we've talked about, and there's a couple of things that um, were sent around uh, in the last week, and I just wanted to to kind of frame up this discussion and then we can kind of dig into it. But um, there was a discussion between Sandy Monroe, who I'm sure long-time listeners of the podcast, anybody who's followed your work will know, uh, Sandy had done the breakdown of the i3 um, and he was on a on a thing uh, talking with Arkimoto, uh, Mark Fronmeyer, who, who runs Arkimoto, who we've also had on the podcast. Um, the Arkimoto is a, about 500 to 600 kg uh, auto cycle, so it's three three wheels electric has a hundred miles of range um they're building it in eugene oregon and um it's considered an auto cycle so it's considered a motorbike like effectively classified as a motorbike but performs like a car in the sense of it goes highway speeds uh it's covered it's got tandem seating so one and then uh the, the sort of like a driver and then someone sitting behind them um two wheels at the front one wheel at the back and they're selling them for, at the moment, $20,000, but they reckon they'll get them down to $10,000 at volume manufacturing. Um, and um, Sandy is obviously incredibly excited about this. 
Um, and then, and then just, yeah, generally I, I feel like we haven't talked about heavy micromobility for a while. So I kind of wanted to go back and just review that space again and how you've been thinking about it or what you've been seeing Horace. Um, sure. Um, in, in the space. So, so, yeah. So yeah, the Archimoto is a, is a classic example, right? Of, of what we talk about in micromobilities and they're filling in the gap between really small micromobility, the two-wheel kind, and uh, the, the automobility, which is the four-wheel kind, although there could be micro in the four wheels as well. And uh, it's great to see that gap get filled, right? The, the gap that actually happens to also be occupied by motorcycles today, uh, which I consider to be micromobility, and uh, they're typically not used for utility unless you're in, uh, you know, let's say India or or or, or Southeast Asia uh, in general. Uh, but it, it's great to see that American effort to fill in. Uh, in the, of course, in Europe, you can make a four-wheel quadricycle, as they're called, which is the Twizy is an example. But in the U.S., uh, they fall under a different categorization. So you typically need three wheels to be uh, to be not a car. And, uh, and then the point about being not a car is crucial here. And then this is this is why I you know in the beginning we we had this debate and we had this struggle, uh, this struggling moment about what is the definition of micromobility. Can I just quickly do something maybe unexpected here and and introduce uh, a few. I'd like to read from something I wrote. Um, it's a prologue. Yeah, to, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a prologue to a book. Um, maybe it'll, it will get written. Maybe it won't. But uh, but I, I I wrote this uh, this summer and um, and I, I, I let me, let, maybe be, let's see how it runs, uh, how it sounds. Um, so in 1955, uh, Dante Giacosa sat down, put pen to paper, and designed. The sexiest car ever made. Now think about what cars looked like in 1955. Giacosa's design was the opposite. If the average car in 1955 gave people thrills, Giacosa's gave people lust. It caused people to fall in love. Its looks did not go out of fashion either. Sixty years later, Automotive critics continue to swoon over its charms. In 2006, Top Gear magazine judged it as the sexiest car of all time, beating an Aston Martin in second place, a Maserati in third, and every Ferrari ever made. Nick Mason, a founding member of the band Pink Floyd, and also a racing driver, collector, and writer on cars, called it, quote, the greatest car ever made. Gordon Murray, a car designer extraordinaire, the designer of many constructor championship winning Grand Prix cars, the auteur of the McLaren F1, and the new $2.5 million T50 hypercar drives one to work. As befits great Italian design, it has a blend of beauty, charm, and passion, and its style was matched by an engine designed by Aurelio Lampredi, designer of the V12s which took Ferrari to many Le Mans and Formula One victories. But unlike many Italian classics, it 
offered a dose of practicality and utility, which made it very popular and commercially very successful. Mason said, quote, no car was so right for so many people so instantly. It was also fun. James May, one third of the Top Gear trio, called it, quote, an unalloyed joy. In production for decades, the platform sold more than 5 million units, effectively putting the populations of Italy, Spain, Argentina, and even Yugoslavia on the road. It stayed in production largely unchanged for an extraordinary 18 years. But even then, the end of production was not the end of its idea. 50 years later, it was resurrected as a brand and the modern facsimile was put back into production. The facsimile also became a sensation for a new generation, iconified. The original is collectible and images of it adorn merchandise worldwide. Wildly popular, 63 years after initial release, the brand is one of the most valuable assets of the company which created it. That company was Fiat. And we are talking, of course, about the Fiat Nuova 500, Il Cinquino, or the Cinquecento. Launched in 1957, Dante Giacosa wrote of its inception, quote, I had put people to work on a minimalist car, even smaller and more economical than the 600. The Italians wanted cars and they were willing to make do with even less space provided it was on four wheels. I had people sketch models of unconventional small cars that had to compete with Vespa in particular. So those are just the introductory paragraphs. I continue well, to discuss. This sounds like a great book. <laughs> Thank you very much. But it's just the pro. My point is simply that the Fiat 500 is a remarkable car. And it is actually 500 in displacement. That was roughly the engine size, 500cc. Uh, um, but it also happens to be its weight. 500 kilograms was roughly where it came in at the beginning. Now, it may have, you know, varied over time and you know, went in production all the way until the mid-70s. But it was effectively a light car compared to uh, anything today. And so when I talk about micromobility, what I wanted to convey was that you could transport a family, in this case, an Italian family, even as many as five people could fit in that car. Um, you could do so and you could mobilize entire populations. We're talking about many countries in Southern Europe which adopted this car as their Ford Model T or their Volkswagen Beetle. And they, therefore, this was of grand, grand value, utility and societal and, and, and uh, cultural. And it, it came in at this price point and at this weight point that uh, made, it, made it the right car for the right time, as, as James Mason said. And um, my, 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 to capture the essence, and I go on in this prologue to point out the fact that that car cannot be built today. It cannot be built today under any circumstances, even though we have materials which are far, far better than they had. We have computers that allow us to design with much, much more efficiency in terms of weight and, 
and in terms of packaging. And we have manufacturing techniques which allow us to put it all together far more cheaply. But we cannot do it again. And this is the fundamental question I begin the book with, is why can't this product exist again? And I can therefore say with certainty that a 500 kilogram car can never exist again. I can say it with certainty, which means that somebody else who makes a personal vehicle below 500, up to and including 500, is going to have a tremendous opportunity to do what the 500 did and mobilize civilizations. And this is, the, this is why I think at the struggling moment, at the very essence of micromobility, is this paradoxical question, why can't we do it again? You know, I offer an answer and suggest that the reason they could do it then is because they were constrained as we are not constrained today. They were constrained by, by resources, they were constrained by the absence of parking, by the absence of roads, by the absence of infrastructures that we take for granted today. And those, those constraints allow it to be defined the way it was. But now that we have so much uh, so few constraints, we have so much infrastructure, we think it's fine to move around in an SUV. And in fact, we do not permit moving around without an SUV. That is the metaphor effectively I'm trying to put forward. And this is why it's close to my heart to see companies developing not just scooters, not just e-bikes, but something filling in the gap between 100 kilograms, which is perhaps the largest uh, two-wheeler you can imagine. By the way, that's like 220 pounds. So you're not likely to have, uh, you know, that's going to be a motorcycle effectively. Um, you know, and, and by the way, the heaviest e-bike I can think of is probably, you know, 25, 30 kilograms, right? So, but all the way up yeah, to, yeah. to, you know, all the way up to 500. So there's a huge gap between 100 and 500. There's a huge gap. Almost everybody's crowded below 50 actually right now. So the gap is, you know, so you have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of products below 50, and then you have zero, or let's say, well, except for Archimoto and except maybe for some motorcycles, but you go all, all the way to way beyond 500. I'm cutting it at 500, but there's actually a big gap between 500 and the next thing, which is probably the smallest car in the world today, which is a smart car. And that's going to still be, uh, I'm guessing now a little bit, but I think it's at least 800 kilograms. So there's, there's this, yeah. this, this yeah. gap. And that's what I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm striving to, to, to encourage. Yeah, well, I mean, all of those things are really, uh, really valid. The part that um, came up on this discussion, and I'll link to it in the show notes about the the Yakimoto with Sandy Monroe, was um, him saying, look, so there's a couple of reasons why he got excited about the auto, about the auto cycle or the three wheelers. And he said specifically, it's because one nobody else is competing in this space traditional car makers are not going to go look at it it's an interesting mm -hmm. constraint from a regulatory perspective it also allows them to innovate a lot more and they're able to do a lot more lightweighting and so you get all the performance characteristics plus it's fun mm -hmm. and he you know they're, they're talking uh, and then on the other side in terms of manufacturing he said it's way simpler than building any cars so the Arkimoto is a it's a body on frame uh, oh, absolutely. He's doing all the right things, I, I must say. And I it's mean, modular. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it. And the crazy thing is, is that the whole company's worth like two hundred million dollars. It's gone up seven x, and because it's Nasdaq listed, it's gone up seven x in the last little while. Obviously, benefiting from things like Tesla going absolutely crazy. Um, but I look at it and go, if you get to fifty thousand units, I mean, and all of a sudden it becomes a thing, and they can get past all the regular regulatory constraints, and people can drive them anywhere they want, and they can start distributing um, these manufacturing facilities around the world, like. That's where the upside is. If you want to look at like a publicly listed stock that's um, uh, in fact, uh, I'm know, often active in the micromobility space. Yeah. Yeah. I'm often asked, can you recommend a micromobility stock? And my answer typically is no. I don't know of any that are public. There's plenty of private companies. We just don't know many public ones. But now, thanks for pointing out that they are public. And I mean, we should recommend them as, as something that if you were interested in micromobility as an investment, maybe perhaps you should pay some, some uh, attention there. So I, you know, I don't typically recommend stocks, obviously, but uh, it's, it's, it's just one answer to that question. But the, mm. yeah, so the, the, there are many things which are they're doing which are consistent with not just the vision and the proper positioning of a vehicle today but also in terms of you as you said uh production uh, logic uh the the question of scale and what is the right volume you should be targeting and and architecture um and so i'm i'm, I'm heartened to see that happen and i i think that in general the you know, it's not the only effort, uh, but uh, it, 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 perhaps in the United States it fits the market best because we do not have an opportunity in the United States to see this kind of like the the Schaeffler uh, four-wheeled um, bicycle type configuration, which is oh the um, biohybrid, yeah, right. I think that that configuration of sort of a four-wheel e-bike, which is a pedal assist product is you know americans like throttle let's be honest they they like the vehicle that you don't have to put any energy into they save that energy for when they go home and get in their pelotons and then they sweat the heck out of (laughs) going nowhere they they really put their energy into going nowhere but when it comes to going somewhere they prefer to push a button um who am i to judge um but but that's that's the the you know that's the model that uh, is is in the U.S. and I think in Europe we'll see interesting other form factors, delivery vehicles which are based on pedal assist, and uh, and so on and 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 I think there are I mean I'm struck I'm I've been in Finland here since July and about a year ago you could hardly find an e-bike anywhere. Um, I think the very first ones to even have retail distribution were started about a year ago and now I see four or five every day maybe more i mean it depends how much i'm out there but there's there's now e-bikes everywhere here and it's it's amazing without any subsidies without anything and this is this is uh you know in germany we just we, we just tweeted this out we have uh, micro mobility industries uh, newsletter put out uh you know the numbers from germany and now 11 percent of households have e-bikes but again, th- this is this is all more or less what we expected, and it is happening. But we're sort of like what 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 is many people were kind of still saying what when I said it goes to 500 kilograms, um, and to see new product shipping and doing so well, and actually getting endorsement from investors, I think that's fantastic. That's absolutely great news, and um, happy to kind of. Um, maybe brainstorm a bit more about what that world would look like. Is it going to be a shared world versus an owned world? Would it be 
you know, uh, one thing about these vehicles, by the way, is they are road vehicles as opposed to bike lane vehicles, right? They're very clearly a motorcycle evolution as opposed to a bicycle evolution, which means that they're, you know, certified as motorcycles with turn signals, with brake lights, with license plates, with, uh, you know, the need to have a driver's license, for example, um, which are obstacles, uh, certainly, but uh, people have adopted them. By the way, the other thing we should talk about in this kind of uh, large micro or heavy micro is Polaris. Polaris is a great company. That, oh yeah, interesting. Yeah, they make. Okay. Well, there's there's also. Uh, um, well, they make the Can-Am, don't they? Sorry. They make the Can-Am, which is the three wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that is so in the same two wheels at the front, one wheel at the. It's like a Skidoo. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's more open in sort of open cockpit and as opposed to to you know covered. And they do make uh, off road quads, if you will. Quite a few, many, and the, 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 one of the things that that I, I I heard from from one of the people working there, fairly senior person, is that they have this this policy internally not to call what they do driving; they always call it riding. So there there, there there's a distinction between. Uh, so like you're almost like chastised if you say I'm going to go drive a Polaris. You say no, no, I'm going to ride a Polaris. So the, the 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 point is that riding is fun, driving is work. Think about that for a minute. So cars are driven, micro vehicles are ridden, and whether they are, you know, four wheels, three wheels, two wheels, doesn't matter, one wheel, they're, they're about getting a ride, and a ride is always fun. And that's important also for us to think in terms of how people perceive. We may, we may encourage them to think that way, but you wouldn't say, I drive a bicycle, you wouldn't say, I drive a scooter, but I ride both of them, which means I'm more of a passenger. By the way, you also ride a horse. You don't drive a horse. So uh, driving is an action word, right? Riding is a more passive. So it's, it's, it's subtle, but, but important. But anyway, back to Polaris for a minute. So one of the things that uh, I wanted to point out is that they also, they were in the news recently saying they will not shy away from building an electric motorcycle. So they're stepping on kind of new toes here. And, um, and Polaris, by the way, is also kind of in a, uh, well, I don't know how to put it, but there is this, category of vehicles also we call golf cars in the United States by the way it's cars not carts there's no T in golf cars uh, really I, I, yes they're not golf cars they're cars and golf cars are a huge thing in many parts of the United States and they're 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 private vehicles as well as in let's say you know a facility vehicle like you would have on a golf course or a, a resort of some kind but many people are driving them as kind of community vehicles um, and they fall under some category called neighborhood electric vehicles I think they've been electric forever and they have you know typically you know lead acid nothing fancy but they're going through a, a little mini revolution of their own so maybe the canonical American micro vehicle could be the golf car there's two companies cross down from each other uh, i think one is called club car i forget the other one but they're like bitter rivals and they're they're they've been more or less holding on to the market i think there's one or two uh, uh non-american companies out there i think I, I i'm guessing japanese now that have some market share 
but uh, fundamentally it's been a U.S. game, and uh, and this is a cr it's a brilliant uh, concept. You know, they they make stretch versions with like many passengers, obviously uh, not just four or two. Um, there the, there there is something there, but it's again all under the radar. Nobody knows anything about the golf car industry. You really have to dig up the data to find them. But they classify in my book as micromobility, and uh, they they are primed to be to be let's say if not disruptive, but at least they could be making some leaps and bounds in terms of their sophistication, right? Moving to lithium batteries, moving to more, a more, uh, you know, uh, design orientation as opposed to sort of just being put together uh, in the minimalist fashion. Um, and, you know, people are, are accessorizing them, blinging them up, you know, pimping them up, whatever you call it. What do you say that when, when you when you modify a car? And and so that's happening in golf cars. I think Polaris is killing it in these sort of more higher speed off-road recreational vehicles. Uh, there's a big uh, there's a big community around that. Uh, and now Archimoto is doing something more, which is a road legal uh, evolution of the motorcycle into into a three-wheeler with uh, with a tandem and, and also by the way so you have multi-passenger obviously uh but you mm. also have a, a a sheltered um uh kind of roofed uh, architecture so providing you some shelter um still i believe they use uh handlebars not steering wheels and it is it um, is still handlebars yeah. yeah so so although there are some out there like you know in europe we've had we've had bmw doing a covered motorcycle if you will in in europe by the way the, there are three wheel motorcycles in the sense that you have two two narrowly uh um, um i guess there's a bogey or i don't know what to call it but the two front wheels are double wheel mm. configuration mm -hmm. uh this rage got started with a company called uh wait a minute uh what is the company uh, the product was called the mp3 which is f a funny name right but it is um, um i forget which which what uh, piaggio actually i think it was piaggio yeah i thought it was piaggio okay yeah yeah, yeah 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 so piaggio which is an italian brand and they you know they put together this three wheel with two two in the front and one in the back but not you know they're like separated by like you know like a few inches, not not a not a or a few centimeters, not a not like mm. you know you're sitting between the two front wheels, and that was cool because at a stoplight you could stop and it would hold stay stays up, but as you go around turns mm. the whole thing leans, so it's got the most. And you end up with more contact with rubber contact on the road as well because I know that Yamaha's developed like a um, a higher end bike that now has this. Oh yeah, totally. So, the, so they've well, got a, once, a, you once know, like a, a couple of hundred. You know, I think it's like yeah, a yeah. There is a, there is there are motorcycles with the same configuration. Again, that they have the, the the still the ability to lean into corners, but the Piaggio was the first, and then a lot of copies came after. But it, they took particularly, I think, Paris by storm. Uh, the you know the somehow the French really took to that configuration. So uh, you have. Um, you you have interesting experiments, not just in adding wheels and more stability, but also adding roof lines, um, um, adding electric power in this space of motorcycling, golf cars, off-roading, and now effectively evolutionary motorcycles that become more stable. So the this is a this is all healthy and great, and I think that that we are often in micromobility. Uh, just sort of like you know it's peripheral vision for for most people to look at that it's it's not in the main focus 
and um, and we should we should embrace that and understand that those are just as interesting to to the evolution of micromobility. By the way, there's one other great car which I wish was in production, uh, but it isn't. It's the Toyota. I I believe I rode. Um, and yeah. it's also it's also three wheeler where you have one in the rear and two in the front. The one in the rear steers, so that's the one that turns when you go into corners. But it also leans into corners, so it's got a very very and it's got a steering wheel, um, and so it's a super tiny vehicle. Never, they never put it in production, and I don't know why. I think it's been out since two thousand and eight as a demo of some kind. Um, and yeah. it just, it's just—it's plastic. It's like inject- injection molded plastic, and um, other, I mean, it's fair. I, I, I remember because it's part of like the the center piece of their micromobility strategy that they released in twenty, either start of twenty nineteen or beginning of uh, late late, late twenty eighteen. And I agree with you. I just I'm also frustrated. I'd love to see it. They've been doing trials they, of them in Japan. It's funny. No. Also, by the way, speaking of these these invisible micromobility vehicles, you also have. Millions and millions of Chinese um, mopeds uh, and and sort of pseudo or or um, you know, pseudo e bikes. I don't know what to call them. They're sort of like mopeds with pedals or or scooters with pedals, sit down scooters with pedals. Mm. And, mm. and just like in China, I'm told I haven't been there in a while, but I'm told that if you sit in traffic and you have all these two wheels going around you, it's all very quiet because they're all electric and they're all. Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, two-wheeled vehicles that used to pollute and be two-stroke engines, and now those have been banned, and everything's now electric, and so it's quiet, it's 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 clean, and it's uh, it's healthy. So that market alone is in the probably in the tens of millions right now in terms of electric two wheels in China that are would be micro mobility, but we just don't talk about mm. them. Um, so, and then, so of I, course, on top of that, there's also the LEVs. The You've talked about it in the past, but those sort of light formed electric vehicles that only go up to about 40 or 50 Ks an hour, they have one, they have, mm-hmm. have uh, small batteries and, and, and they're very lightweight. Oftentimes they were called rural electric vehicles or uh, so if each country would call things differently, uh, there's not a global standard, which again, with cars, you tend to you do tend to get global standardization, which is why the global uh, market for cars is pretty much now uh, homogeneous, right? You you know what you you buy one car in Europe and it's the same car in in the U.S. There are some exceptions with Japan, but the the general consensus is that you build uh, uh, every car is a global car. So uh, um, a mm. new Golf from Volkswagen is going to be a global car, or the new ID3 is a global car from from you know the, from an electric uh, uh, Volkswagen. So. Uh, but my, my point is that you might say, well, that's a disadvantage that micro is actually completely different from every country uh, and you can't play the game as a global player, except maybe in the e-bike space today or maybe in the scooter space. But it's, it's actually an advantage because it, it gives, it gives it, it, people will experiment more this way and they'll sort of, some country may figure it out better than another one and then maybe you'll get imitation at some point. Uh, certainly, it was the case for the car for a long, long time. It wasn't a global market for automobiles. That's why you did have these local champions like Fiat in Italy and and uh, uh, Renault in in France and and, and uh, British Leyland in the UK and then and, and so on. And now those are gone, or if they're merged, or they're sort of like become uh, parts of m- much bigger groups of companies. And that that's that's in in a sense uh, a, a, a symptom of 
of uh, old age, you know, in an industry when when mm. when when you need to consolidate. Whereas young age is where kind of every there are hundreds of competitors are all trying different things. There's no standards. It's wild west. It feels chaotic, and that's a sign of a burgeoning emergent uh, industry. So, uh, you, you know, it, it may be tough to make a, uh, you know, to pick a winner and so on, but it is, it is the nature. So if you were to say, what is the most vibrant mode out there or the most vibrant transportation space, it's not electric cars, it's micromobility because we, all of these things we talked about from a mono wheel which is electric powered or a skateboard that's electric powered all the way to the archimodos all the way to the polaris all the way to the to the uh piaggio three uh, three wheeled motorcycles etc all of these classify under this definition and said it's personal transportation under 500 kilograms and because it is so diverse it is because it is so fragmented no one's counting it no one's measuring it as a whole right we have struggled all the time with this idea of how big is micromobile in terms of vehicles i don't know how many electric scooters are sold in 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 uh in china i don't know i don't know if the chinese know uh it's local business right so it's it the, probably the the mandarins in charge are not even measuring it because it's not the, it, it's not uh as as sexy or as glorious as the auto industry uh, would have us believe so you end up with this invisible largely unregulated uh flying under the radar uh chaotic and yet i think that's absolutely the right thing to be doing in terms of innovation in terms of creation mm -hmm. of new things because that is the essence of of breakthroughs that's the essence of innovation and disruption so again i, I want to I, yeah. I completely agree with all of this there's a couple of questions that i have in there which is so one of the so when i interviewed mark von Mayo from akimoto about this the, the thing that did strike me was his modular factory will do 50,000 units a year but it's only about a 50 million dollar investment to get to that scale so it's really exciting but it's taken him 10 years and as he put it he had, so his background was he was a he was a gaming and tech entrepreneur mm -hmm. sold a company and then turned around and put all of that money into Akimoto mm -hmm. and as he put it it was sort of like if he had known what he was going to get into he don't he, he's not sure he would have done it but because it's been incredibly capital intensive and still, I mean, they've got themselves to a place where they've got accredited, like, and uh, yeah, they've got a production of a vehicle and uh, they've passed the certifications, which is incredibly capital efficient, right? So, um, but even so, it's still taking them 10 years to get to this point for that, for that level of experimentation versus the scooters, which, you know, we know that scooter manufacturing has gone to, you know, it's like, Two years ago, we were really constrained in terms of supply. We're now at a point where we've probably got the production capacity to be able to pump out most of the scooters that we'd like. Not, not you know, not everything. We are constrained a little bit on e-bike supply pumping out of Taiwan. And if you look at groups like VanMoof, for example, it's been kind of overwhelmed. But it's still able to adapt and be able to pump out within a year to two years. Um, you know, the number of e-bikes that it's it's that, consistent. That there's demand there for so with. Yeah, it's consistent with the with the notion I put forward. It's like the faster it goes, the slower it goes. I mean, Archimoto is a faster vehicle, right? It'll probably I don't know what tops out at, but you know, probably 70, 80 miles an hour. Yeah, um, it's around that. Yeah, yeah, I would think. Uh, well, that's much faster than even the fastest e-bike or scooter. So it's 
it's going to be a, a process to get that through uh, certification or homologation, uh, as it's called in Europe, which is you know getting the the appropriate safety and standards worked on. Uh, you need you need to use components which are also there for. Uh, let's say from the supply chain of the motorcycle industry um, and therefore it, it it kind of forces you to work a little bit slower and that's that that is the that, that is the nature of the game when when you are but they're still much faster than the cars I mean you said 10 years but let's not forget like Tesla although they're now approaching 500,000 units of production um, they've been at it since 2004, I believe. So Four? yeah, I think it was 16. Yeah, 16 years now, and uh, and they've absorbed. Well, now let's see. Let's count the billions, shall we? I mean, at least tens of billions of dollars in terms mm. of investment. Mm. Um, whereas you know we're talking lopping off three zeros to get to Archimoto. Uh, so yeah, of course they're they're also uh, a few zeros short in production, but but it it it, it is in one of these things like it, they are relatively fast compared to automobiles, not as fast as 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 the smallest micro vehicles. They are going to require less capital than automobiles, but more than micro vehicles. So these things are proportional, um, and and so it, I would I would argue it's par for the course. And uh, best of luck. I think that uh, they are filling a niche. And uh, if if the theory suggests, and this is not, you know, this is the theory of disruption, suggests that they will evolve and get better over time, and that this is the necessary first step. But it has to be a first step that gives them profits or at least access to capital that lets them to get to the next stage. And so the only problem with with a disruptive strategy or the difficulty I should say with the disruptive strategy is that you need to at some point move beyond some sound barrier as it were some some invisible ceiling that says well you know we really should stick to our knitting we shouldn't get into the next thing but it's probable to me if they are uh, uh, you know disruptors that they would actually move into four wheels at some point in the future um, mm. maybe via type of Polaris type product, an off-road product, or they might actually go to a new market which accepts a version of Archimoto that is on a four-wheel platform, which uh, maybe again for the regulatory reasons the US may not be that place, um, and so on. So the tendency of the disruptors want to do, to do wanting to do that is because if they did, they would reach a more affluent market, they would reach a more profitable um, uh, margin, uh, and uh, and effectively, everyone in the company is going to feel better about growing up to the being the next level. And that upward march is what uh, tempts uh, also the incumbent, which typically runs off way above what everyone wants. Um, and they, they get effectively, um, um, uh, you know, they get effectively marginalized by their pursuit of of, uh, of profitability, so that's that's the theory at least. Again, theories are mm. are, are often um, uh, uh, you know anomalies emerge, uh, but but that's what I would expect, and and um, and so uh, would, that would be also maybe a roadmap for a golf car company, but maybe for whatever reason they're not gonna they're gonna not gonna cross that uh, 
that invisible barrier and and mm. so other other places i'll give you another example by the way in japan the k car the k e i car k meaning uh k the k shadosa something like that k shadosa which means um lightweight car and the k car was not defined by weight but actually by dimensions in width and, and length and um and so these miniature cars I wouldn't call them micro, I'd call them maybe mini cars. These mini cars are actually 20-30% of the market and they are a uniquely Japanese phenomenon. It never got exported. Uh, well, maybe some models do exist outside. We get them in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. So yeah. Some, some Asian markets. But the, the, the thing that, that, that I want to point out about them is that it's they did cross over. The makers of the K cars, which started in the 50s, include companies like Mazda, include companies like Honda, and so they started with the mini cars, which were 600cc capacity in terms of engine, and then they evolved into the mega vehicles we have today, which include, you know, the 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 Lexuses and the Acuras and so on. So in Japan, at mm. least, that those barriers were there for them to overcome, and uh, somehow through policy, through culture they said okay we grow up to be the next and the next and the next whereas in some cases in europe for example and this by the way you should watch this wonderful show from james may as we mentioned him earlier was it's called cars of the people and i don't know if i ever said mm. this before but it's a wonderful oh yeah series. you have it's a it's great yeah he, there's no, there's a there's a thing about japan there what they talk about the, the k car and, and and they talk about how in japan this humility translated into into prosperity whereas in other parts of europe like in france where there's something called voiture sans permis which is a you know these micro cars as well they never crossed over uh, or in england where you had things like the bond car i don't know if you remember that or these bubble cars and these odd contraptions in the 1960s that uh, also in germany with this messerschmitt um, you know, uh, oh yeah, the Messerschmitt. That was Zond like a three-wheeled bubble bubble car. Yeah, right? yeah, and Zondap. Zondap was another one of these odd makers of cars. And then you had, uh, uh, by the way, the, the, these Zondaps and so on actually ended up as part of the henchmen of the villain in uh, in Cars Two uh, uh, franchise. The you know the Disney. Franchise oh really? Cars. Yes, there's a Zondap. <laughs> by the way, the, another one was the was it. Um, uh, this thing that actually you sat backwards in the in the rear of the car, um, um, and and it sort of like the, the the were forward facing seats and rear facing seats, so that the car looked symmetrical coming and going. And uh, this this car just you know makes me makes me queasy thinking about driving it, but uh, or riding in it. And um, anyway, these odd designs in Europe did not cause Messerschmitt to become the next BMW. Uh, and Zondap to become the next Mercedes. That, that that did not happen there, or the Bond car in the UK, or the uh, what is that pedal-driven uh, thing that they also tried, um, uh, Sinclair. Uh, uh, oh yeah, the Sinclair and C5. It, it many, yeah. many people actually in in Europe or even in the United States who may remember these things, they 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 laugh and point at micromobility and say, "Hey, you, I remember these odd odd micro vehicles. They all failed." They would say, and you know, would, we are we, the market rejected anything as small and and uh, and silly as that. 
were where in you know in 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 contrast not only by the way in Japan but also in Korea also in China and also in India all the major brands of automobiles in those markets came from humble beginnings typically microcars typically two wheels the first thing that uh, and by the way also in Germany BMW was a maker of motorcycles still is actually uh, and, and the, you know, Honda started that way and uh, and Toyota had a mono wheel or actually some contraption you know at the motorizing uh, uh, the first uh, the first motor vehicle from Toyota was not a car check it out if you if you give it I went to their museum mm. I forgot exactly what it was called it was meant to sort of figure out how to motorize a single wheel and attaching it to something else to drive it forward. So th there's a lot of experiments happen, but again, it's not clear at, at, as to why some micro companies evolve into becoming the incumbent or the dominant mobility company in their, in their market uh, versus others who simply fizzle away. Uh, and of course, mm. we can always mention the Ford Model T and so on. All of these humble beginnings, the first Fiat's, the first Renault's, the first everything that we know, Volkswagen, of course, all of these started small and got bigger. It's it's rare, very rare. I, I can't think of anything. And the only ch challenger today who went the other way would be Tesla. The, the mm. you know, the Mercedes. Speaking of, the of that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, there, there, there's a, so um, Sandy Monroe, again, uh, you know, uh, the, the, he obviously has covered Akimoto and they're looking at, he's excited about the three-wheeled electric space because I think he's obviously looking at that, but he has done breakdowns of the Tesla Model S, then the X, then the three, then the Y. And uh, just recently, especially around the battery day announcement in September, um, he's come out and he's incredible. I mean, it was very interesting to me seeing his reaction because in the beginning he was like, they don't know how to build cars versus when he broke down the why he he was saying this is the most profound development in um you know effectively automotive he's like they're three to five years away uh, ahead of anybody in the competition in terms of batteries in terms of powertrain uh, and motors in terms of like circuit boards and circuit componentry that's you know computers and stuff that go into cars um i'm i, I you know i remember your your you had originally been like very skeptical. You said it's just a sustaining innovation. And yet at the same time, Sandy is now saying, look, these, this is the company to w watch because they are just miles ahead of everybody else in terms of tech development. And as you've been watching Tesla, whether or not your mind's changed on them at all. No, my mind has not changed, but I, I, I want to, so Monroe, when he tore down the, the I3, he said similar revolutionary words. He, and that was mm -hmm. one of the reasons, actually, I got an i3, was very impressed with his review. Uh, he said, this, is, this was the Model T of our time. This was, these were his words. This mm. make, made as much of a leap forward in automotive technology as the Model T did. First, because it was carbon fiber. Second, because it was electric and, 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 and you know, the way it was packaged and everything else was, was really off the charts in terms of cleverness. Even the motor and the motor windings and everything, he just raved and raved about the i3. Um, and his initial take on the Model 3 from Tesla was that uh, it was pretty clunky in terms of its, uh, it was, it was under-engineered in terms of assembly and cost and a, a lot of other things. So my concern, mm -hmm. if I were to put it this way, is maybe he, he, maybe he's a bit too over the top 
on, 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 on these assessments. And I don't know why he does so, because I think maybe it may, I, you know, I hate to say, you know, it's sort of a pro- promotional idea, but, but it is maybe, you know, in the public eye, he senses that he needs to be a bit more superlative. Um, now, putting, a, I, I, putting it, just, yeah. Just putting sure. it, putting no. his, his assessment aside. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to challenge his 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 uh, his credibility at all. But I, I, you know, I'm just pointing out what what he's what he's said in the past. Now, what what I would, uh, you know, going back to the question of Tesla again, the, the the questions around Tesla are not whether they are great in terms of product. The question mm. is only, can someone else do it? I mean, it's, it's, it would be the same question that was leveled at Apple over decades, which was that, hey, that's a great idea you had there, Mr. Steve Jobs. Uh, touching mm. your phone to make it work, that's a great idea. Now we're going to do the same thing, which is what Android did, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and it was mm-hmm. a lot of fighting and, and acrimony. Or even before it, there was the, the mouse interface from, uh, from, from Apple's Macintosh, which was immediately rapidly copied by, by, by Microsoft, which went on to sell you know, billions more PCs than, than, than Apple did. Uh, and, and there are many more uh, Androids out there as well. Now, uh, Apple did manage to uh, survive all that and, and prosper and, and, and make more profits than, than, uh, than any other PC maker or any other phone maker. And their ecosystem's thriving. Okay, they certainly have one billion customers, and I'm always, always very, very, very forceful about my my uh, my praise of that. But uh, the 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 thing about the automotive industry, which you in many, by the way, many Apple fans are Tesla fans, and they'll bring out the same arguments I made about Apple to say Tesla does the same thing that Apple does. It's premium. Mm. It's got loyalty. It's got you know, oodles of product development that are, you know, quote unquote innovative. Um, I would, you know, that's innovation is not invention. Making something new is not making something great. What it what it becomes great is when everybody's using it and figuring out a way to get it in the hands of everyone. The true innovation for Tesla would be again to scale down into the mass markets. And and I've been tracking their progress in in terms of volumes and so on. I always ask this also of Apple's entry into cars, ma- car making, which was a hypothesis some time ago. And I said, would Apple ever get into cars? And my answer would be perhaps. But the real question should be, how many cars could they possibly make? And I knew the numbers. I knew that to get into some serious numbers for Apple, they would need to be making over two million cars, because that's not even close to what BMW was making. Uh, to be sort of like, you know, and BMW is like number 10 on the list of car makers in terms of volumes, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. so the, you know, Apple is, mm-hmm. clo- is, is either one or two, and then the, depending on the quarter, but it, typically it's number two worldwide in phone making. So the question is, for Apple to achieve that level, I, I would, would challenge how do you get to production and car numbers to be in the, you know, for Apple to be number two, they would have to be in the 10 million range. Now, here we are with Tesla again. The question is, they're struggling to get to 500 million this year, and they had promised a lot more way back. I mean, they, they everybody said they're, yeah. but, but, but I mean, if you go back to what the claims were from, well, it's very hard to assess. Elon Musk's claims are numerous. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's very yeah, hard sure. for me. You know, I'm used to taking, I'm used to taking, 
Tim Cook's statements and holding him to it. But for Elon Musk, you have hundreds of statements that, that are effectively uh, uh, to be tossed away. Um, so y y I don't know what to refer to as the company's goals. I, c I don't know what they are because they, they're random um, and, and ignored and thrown away. So, But there were many claims made about the company, not just itself, but others who would claim that it's going to reach Model T levels of production, et cetera, et cetera. It's 16 years now. Okay, so let's see how much further they can get. And by the way, I also said about three, four years ago that 2020 would be the breakout year for electric car making because suddenly all these products that have been under development for four years, which is the gestation period of a, of a car product, would suddenly reach the market. And here we are in Europe now, just an abundance of new product coming out, the Volkswagen ID3. I was driving around Helsinki the other day and I saw in one drive in an hour, I saw, uh, sorry, I saw about uh, 10, 12 different electric cars. And I mean different electric cars from Jaguars to Fiats to, not sorry, not Fiats, to, to Minis to, to uh, uh, Porsches and, and, and so the Taycan, I've seen four a day here. Uh, it's it's crazy how how many new products mm. are shipping now. So in that market, again, I don't say Tesla is a bad business. What I say is Tesla, the presumption that Tesla would dominate cars the way Apple has dominated phones, I don't see that happening. And that is the definition of disruption in my okay. book because it would have to be significant quantities and significant numbers of owners. Okay, so the one response to that is, and then, and then, uh, unfortunately, I have to jump off because I have to run to something. Uh, but is that te so, Sandy? Uh, Sandy, the the point that Sandy makes is Tesla is responsive, and so he he made the point that the Model Three, the manufacturing on the Model Three was kind of crap. They had all these extra assemblies and things that they needed in the back, uh, or, or sorry, complexity in the back. They ended up doing a single part casting for the wheel wells and then for the whole back end of the assembly, which means mm -hmm. that they just reduced the part count massively. No, that was because- And was they easy. brought in yeah. the world's largest casting. And and Sandy's just like, I made the suggestion on the Model 3 by the Model Y that fixed it. That's in the space of a year and a half. Nobody, no other car maker is, is moving this quickly. He's like, I, you know, you would never see that level of revision in any Nobody other car Nobody in the car making business is moving this quickly and yeah. Tesla is moving really quickly to catch up to manufacturing processes that were well understood in the 1990s. Sure, but it's, but Sandy's point, and uh, and again, I'll link yes, to this video fast, when I post but they're this. Fast, is it? They're fast at catching up to what everybody knows. No, and, no, no, no. But that's Sandy's point is that it, they're actually like doing stuff now that nobody else is doing. Oh, that of course, there's has some areas, some areas, some areas they're they're way way ahead. But in terms of manufacturing and production. I mean, I know he was also on the show talking about, you know, how many robots and whether you, you, you use robots or not. And, 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 you know, Elon Musk was proposing to do these things in manufacturing innovation, in moving an assembly line at the speed of, uh, you know, faster than a strobe light, uh, you know, dreadnoughts, uh, you know, uh, whatever mm. metaphor mm. he was mm. using. That was just complete, utter nonsense. And he could just read a read a book written in the 1990s on car manufacturing and known known that that was a silly thing to suggest. Uh, there's this sort of ignorance and 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 uh, and, uh, and arrogance coupled together that that bothered me. And uh, and now you could say, well, fine, you know, fail fast, move forward quickly, and so on. Uh, but why not just read a book first? 
um, and and why why persecute people in yeah 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 of course of course and I uh, yeah (laughs) I don't disagree anyway sorry I need to run uh, unfortunately Uh, but um, look this has been a brilliant discussion and uh, I really I'd love to hear what the audience has to say Um, please hit uh, Horace and I up on Twitter especially if you've if there are heavy micro mobility uh, companies that we have missed or we should be covering uh, or thinking about or other comments that you'd like us to uh, to be thinking about in that sort of space Um, but yeah thanks Horace appreciate it you bet you bet